Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. In our contemporary world, numbers communicate. We have phone digits, zip codes, and speed limits. We also have ages, weights, and heart rates. We understand that being number one is good. If you've ever been a third wheel, you know that three is a crowd. And, well, let's just say there's a reason why many buildings don't have a 13th floor. The number seven is significant in scripture. It's associated with completeness or perfection, and it shows up from the beginning of the Bible. With the seven days of creation in Genesis, all the way through to the end of the Bible in Revelation, finishing with seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls that represent the completeness of God's plan. There are also, of course, seven churches in Revelation. Some scholars believe that John was just writing to seven literal churches, but others believe the number seven was used for symbolic reasons, and that it represented Jesus' whole church in all places and all times throughout history, and that the audience for each message stretches through generations. Using that interpretation, the church in Sardis may not be the only one needing a divine alarm clock the sound of Jesus' voice telling them it's time to wake up. Oh, hi there, family. Yeah, looking good today. Yeah, good to see you guys. Um, We are in the midst of a sermon series on the seven churches of Revelation. If this is your first time, welcome. Just, you're diving right in. Um, we do have uh, all of it archived, so you're welcome to go back, watch the first four. Um, and uh, one of the things we want you to think about is that when Jesus writes to these seven churches in Revelation, it wasn't just to them. It was for us too. It's a message that's relevant today, just as it was relevant back then. And so we invite you as we go through the series to think about how each church may apply to our church to where we're at in life. And so uh, with that in mind, the other thing I need to let you know if this is your first time here is that every week there is a secret word because Revelation is a mystery. And so, so we wanted to add some more mysteries. So we have a secret word every week. It generally shows up on one of the slides. I don't always tell you what it is. Somebody corrected me. I, they'd, I said last week somebody had to watch this it twice to figure out it was actually six times. So, you know, it must have been a good sermon, right? I don't know. Anyway, well, was, uh, that's what I'm really doing. I'm really trying to bury it to make you watch it again and again. So anyway, so, but they will be on the slides. And if you get all seven words at the end of this, you'll have an opportunity to use those seven words to solve a puzzle that will then get you 
an incredible prize. And uh, I may be overselling it. I don't know. You'll just have to, if you want to find out, you just have to, uh, to play the game and come along with us on that, okay? So uh, just, uh, I, I can tell you it will not make you as rich as Croesus. Okay, 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 so I gained some vague looks. Seriously, I need some help. I thought this was a saying everybody knew, but apparently... I've been told that apparently I am the only person who's ever heard this saying before. So if you've heard it before, make, would you, if you've ever heard the saying, riches Croesus before, one person, I'm seeing one, oh, two, three, okay. There's a couple of us here. I'm not going to make any judgments about the rest of you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's where I grew up, but I, this is like a saying in our family. Like when you say that somebody's rich as Croesus, like Jeff, Jeff Bezos or something, really, really, really wealthy. I mean, they're not like kind of rich. They're like over the top rich, crazy rich. So where this comes from is that in about 540 to 563 BCE, there was a king named Croesus who was the ruler of a, of a, of a country, a nation known as Lydia. And... Lydia had the good fortune of having a river with huge gold deposits. And so Croesus figured out how to mine that river, which made him as rich as Croesus. Okay. It's all right. I'm working. I'm so, uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Just hang in. So, so Croesus is this dude right here. Yeah, that's him. Not as happy a picture as you might think, or maybe it is. We'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. But this is Croesus, King Croesus. And so Croesus was so rich that he became very arrogant, very arrogant. And he believed that his money made him happy. And so he believed because he had the most money of anybody in the world that he must be the happiest man in the world. And so he called a philosopher in who was known for his wisdom. And he said to the philosopher, he said, he showed him all of his kingdom, all of his riches, and he said to Foster, now tell me, who's the happiest person in the world? And the philosopher said, great question, easy answer. It's this guy that was a warrior, and he saw his children and his children's children grow up to be successful, and then he died heroically in a battle. And Croesus said, Exactly what somebody on the front row said. Huh? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Increase is like, well, you are, you are renowned for your wisdom, so who's the second happiest person then? Philosopher thought for a second. He said, well, second happiest person, it was this farmer who was born on this farm, raised on this farm, never left the farm his entire life, never made a lot of money, but just was a productive, good citizen in his little town and ran his farm well. And when he died, the village gathered around and celebrated his life. Chris said, come on now. I know I come in third. And the philosopher said, no. That's actually these two brothers who discovered that the oxen in their family had died. And so they put the, the yoke around their neck and pulled their mother on a cart to the temple where she worshipped. 
so that she wouldn't have to walk. And when she got to the temple, she said, uh, to the God of that temple, she said, please bless my sons. And so these two boys lay down on the ground and died peacefully. <laughs> this Greek mythology stuff's weird, right? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just saying. But uh, so anyway, so, so Croesus was not impressed with these answers. And he's like, yeah, you're not as smart as you think you are. I know I'm the happiest guy. I've got lots of money. That's me, happy guy. And so, uh, but you know what happens is you do still sometimes feel discontent even when you have a lot, right? And so Croesus, uh, his kingdom was considered the most rich, the most powerful. It was, it was incredible. Um, you know, the, the capital of his country was just renowned. But he wasn't satisfied. Right across the river from his kingdom was, were these people called the Persians. And he thought, you know, I really want their kingdom too. And so Croesus went to his advisor and said, what do you say? Let's, let's take out Persia. And his advisor said, let's not. Croesus said, why not? And they said, well, because we are the greatest nation on earth. We have the most money. Persia is just this little tiny insignificant. If we, if we win, we don't gain anything. But if for some reason they beat us, we lose everything. So there's no sense in going to war with somebody that you're not really going to gain anything from if you beat them, but you have everything to lose. Croesus didn't like that. Croesus said, I don't, I don't like that. I, I want a second opinion. So he sent off to the oracle of Delphi, who he'd, he'd had previous dealings with. She had given him other advice that had worked out for him. So he said, I'm going to get my second opinion from the oracle in Delphi. And so he sent off to the oracle and he said, should I invade Persia? Should I do it? And the oracle sent back an answer to Croesus. The oracle said, on the day that you cross the river, a great nation will be destroyed. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. You got it. Like... So, so Croesus, though, Croesus, because when you're a little arrogant, the world revolves around you, right? And so what does Croesus hear? Croesus hears, the day that I cross the river, I'll destroy Persia, and that's what will happen. That's a good thing. I'm going to do it. So he goes to war with Persia, crosses the river, has a battle, kind of a bit of a draw, but it's bad enough that he has to retreat across the river, back across the river. Well, the Persians don't stay on their side. They're like, okay, we actually fought them to a draw. Let's, let's go ahead and we, we have everything to gain. So they crossed the river and then they really took it to poor Croesus. Croesus winds up in his capital city, but he's not discouraged because the capital city was known to, that nobody could conquer it. The way, it was situated on top of a hill that, that had sheer cliffs on several sides, and it was thought there was actually a saying in that time that it was that you that you know you if you were trying to say that you couldn't conquer something, you would say that that it was as impregnable as this town. And so, so Croesus was not worried. He's like, yeah, I lost these battles, but I'm okay still. I've still got my capital. I'm still doing okay. And so he kind of gets inside of his, uh, you know, inside of his capital city and kind of sticks his tongue out at the Persians who are camped down below. He goes, you, you, what are you going to do? You, you got no chance. 
Well, the Persians were a little bit more resourceful than Croesus gave them credit for. In fact, Croesus was so arrogant, so over-the-top arrogant, he didn't put guards on the walls where the cliffs were at because there was no way you could get at them. The Persians realized this, and they sent some soldiers late one night up to scale those cliffs. They climbed over the wall. They went to the front gate. They opened the gate, and they marched right in. And that's where we come to the picture of poor Croesus, the legend goes, putting himself on a pier and about to light it on fire because he was defeated. And depending on which way you believe the legend went, he lived or died in that moment. Um, Part of the legend was that he said some profound things. The Persian king took pity on him and just made him uh, a, a slave in his court for the rest of his life. We don't know. What we do know is it ended poorly for poor King Croesus. So, I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, man, Ken, I thought we were talking about the seven churches of Revelation. But this is pretty good, too. So, here's the cool thing. What was the capital city that Croesus was in? Sardis. Sardis. So now as we read what Jesus has to say to Sardis, I want you to see if you can see any echoes of the history of Sardis. Sardis had been the capital of Asia Minor. It had been the most influential, the most important city about five to 600 years prior to this letter being sent to them. But things had changed. You now know that it was the other cities that had taken on the honor of being the capital so let's see as we, let's read together Jesus' message to the church of Sardis. So read with me. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive and yet you are dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Then, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way, in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What did you notice about that particular message? Remember how we said there's a different, different sections? Each, each one of these churches gets like, there's like seven little parts to it. One of those parts is missing in this message. Which one was it? Okay, we're going to have to read it all again. <laughs> no, the, the part that's missing is the commendation. For, seven of the, for five of the seven churches, there's a commendation. Hey, you're doing this well. Two of the churches, no commendation. Sardis is one of them. So Jesus basically introduces himself as, the, as I'm the one with the seven stars, the seven spirits, and I'm not happy with you. There's no, you're doing this, okay, but I do have a few things. No, it's just, he just launches right into, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and that yet you are dead. The word name 
in some translations is actually translated reputation. I know that you have a reputation that you are alive. You see, Sardis, like some churches, the city of Sardis was past its glory years. We hear about this a lot in North America, right? We hear that Christians' churches are dwindling, that the glory years are over. You know, that back when people would go to church on the weekend with regularity, that's behind us. The glory years are over, and yet many churches still live as if nothing has changed. And that's what's happening with Sardis. You have a reputation that you're alive. You have a great reputation from the past, Jesus says. But the problem is, just like the city that you live in, you're in decline, but you're denying it and living off your past reputation. Family, I am so proud of what this church means in the Orlando community. I'm proud of the legacy that Annie McDonald left with 37 years in this church. It's a beautiful legacy that he left. But what kind of person would I be to be like, well, let's talk about all the things Andy did. What kind of church would we be to say, let's just go ahead and live off of our past success? And yet, family, there are churches that do that. And Sardis was one of them. Well, we were super, you remember that uh, evangelistic series 15 years ago where we had... We're still that church. I mean, but they weren't. They were dead. They hadn't grown with the spirit. They just stayed planted firmly in the past. Be constantly alert is Jesus' advice. Complacency kills. Complacency kills. And they were dying because they weren't Alert. By the way, do you see that it says be alert more than once in that passage up there? This is a big key with Sardis. They are not paying attention. They are, they're just kind of, like I said, living off the past. And Jesus is jabbing at them through the history of their, of their city. Because I told you, I told you being alert mattered in Sardis. Why? Because Croesus was not alert, Right? He left the walls unmanned because he was living off. Nobody could. But you want, to hear, you want to hear what made Sardis an even bigger joke in Asia Minor? It didn't just happen once. It happened twice. 300 years after that happened to Croesus, Sardis did the same thing again. They had an army surrounding them. And they're like, we're good. We're impregnable. They forgot about what had happened to them. And they, again, the exact same thing happened. The enemy scaled the cliff, climbed over the wall, opened the doors, marched right in. You know, you know that old saying, mess up once, shame on me. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, shame on you. If you trick, trick me once, shame on you. Trick me twice, shame on me. This is where these people were. And they were, it was the joke of Asia Minor. Everybody knew it. So all the other churches that are reading go, huh, I know what they're saying. Jesus is saying being alert because this church, just like their city, is not paying attention. They're just kind of like, we're good. We're good. And Jesus says, be alert. And then he says something else that's important because I told you that we can't live in the past, but you know what we also have to do? We can't forget the past. We still have to remember. See those words? So remember. 
what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Family, sometimes what Jesus needs you to do is not live in the past, but remember the past. He needs you to remember where he has led you, what he has done, and not say, well, that's good enough, but simply say, keep doing that. Remember, remember. You know, in my life, when I start feeling discouraged in my walk with Christ, when I start feeling myself feeling dead, one of the things I like to do is I like to go back and think about how God has led my life, the ways that I've seen him work. And what it does is it reignites a fire in me to say, yeah, you know what? He did it before and I might feel dead right now, but you know what? God has brought me to life before and he can do it again. I told you that Jesus always at the beginning describes himself in a certain way. And that certain way is always what that church needs. Don't you love that about Jesus? Family, sometimes we try to really make Jesus this kind of cookie cutter thing. And yet Jesus shows up uniquely to each church. He doesn't show up with a, here it is. I'm the same for everyone. Did you know that Jesus can be different for you than he is for me? It's not saying that he's different. I'm just saying that he shows up in a way that I need that may be different than what you need. And Jesus to the church of Sardis shows up exactly the way that they need him to show up. How does Jesus show up? He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Remember back to Ephesus. At Ephesus, Jesus was the one with the seven stars in his right hand. Notice what's missing here, the right hand. He doesn't say that he's holding these seven stars. He just simply says that he is the one with the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, that they, the seven churches belong to him. And so where the real emphasis here is, I want you to point you toward is the seven spirits of God. What are the seven spirits of God? Well, I want you to know that's a good question. And the Bible doesn't really give us a lot of clues on that. It's talked about a little bit more in Revelation, but elsewhere in the Bible, there really isn't anywhere that says, oh, here's the seven spirits of God. So what I want to suggest to you is that in my studying, as I've looked through the different literature that's out there, and as I've come, I've come to the conclusion in my study, and you should come to your conclusion through your study, but my conclusion is that those seven spirits of God is referring to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that. In the Old Testament, whenever the Holy Spirit is talked about, the Holy Spirit does two things very importantly. The Holy Spirit brings power, and the Holy Spirit brings life. What would a dead church need? They need power and life. Zechariah 4.6 says it this way about the Spirit. This is what the word of the Lord says to this rubble, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. You see, that's what living in the past does. When we live in the past, we start confusing what Jesus has done in our past when we don't think about it with what we've done. Oh, I remember how I did this. And we start living off of our power and our strength rather than off of the strength that Jesus wants to give us and the Holy Spirit has to give us. Family, it is not your might nor your power that will save you in life. It is not your good deeds and all whatever. It is the Spirit of God living in you that will transform you and make you into what God wants you to be. And I want to suggest to you that it's not complicated. How do you get God's Spirit in you? You ask for it. 
not once, not twice, but every day, multiple times a day. Spirit live in me, spirit live in me, spirit live in me. I give you permission, the door is open, come in. I want you to live in me and I recognize that may be uncomfortable for me, but I give you permission. The other reason why I think this may be the seven spirits of God is, is off of some, a book that I was reading that suggested that Isaiah 11, one through two might be what that is based off of. Isaiah 11, one through two says this, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Remember at the very beginning it says, he who has the seven spirits of God, that's Jesus. The, the, the stem of Jesse, the branch from his roots is Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Nope, we got to six, we're seven. We're missing seven. There's two different ways that I can look at this. One is that the Holy, there's six days of creation and on the seventh day, God rested. And so there are six things going on there and we rest on the seventh. That's one way of looking at the Holy Spirit is that seventh part. Another uh, possibility is that in the Septuagint, and if you're not familiar with what the Septuagint is, it's the first Greek translation of the Old Testament that was ever made. In that translation, there actually is a seventh thing added, and that is um, the spirit of godliness. So why isn't it in our modern translations, and why, why isn't it in some of the other manuscripts? Because sometimes things get changed around, and it's not a big deal, really, either way. It doesn't really change anything except that. It does give us that seventh one that's convenient for me in the way that I'm going about looking at this. But isn't that interesting? Wouldn't, don't you want the spirit in your life, the spirit that gives you wisdom, the spirit that gives you understanding, the spirit that gives you counsel, the spirit that gives you strength. Can I just say that some of Jesus' messages really take the strength out of you? Like, if you've looked at the last couple messages, it's kind of harsh and hard to read sometimes. You can feel like sometimes when God kind of comes after you a little bit about things in your life, it can really take it out of you. But you know what the cool thing is, is that Jesus says, I can put it right back in you. Just ask for my spirit to give you the strength you need to get through what's making you feel weak. Spirit of knowledge, spirit of the fear of the Lord. Those are all things that a dying, dead church needs to live. You could even say it would be something that would make a church victorious, right? That would give them victory. Now, in ancient Rome, when a big battle was won or something momentous happened, they would have a triumph parade in Rome. And in that triumph parade, the victor and the emperor would parade through the streets and the leading citizens of, the, uh, of Rome would put on white togas pure white. They would starch them and actually put chalk on them to make them as white as possible. And then they would march in this parade behind the triumphant emperor general. So 
Let's read Revelation 3, 4 through 6 in that light. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. This is the imagery of walking in a victory parade. They will walk with Jesus in his victory parade, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Family, when we ask Jesus, Holy Spirit, to be in our life, to transform us, to bring back life to that which is dead. Like Sardis, Jesus says, I can fix the soil that's on your clothing. I can starch it out. I can take care. I can bleach it out. And then guess what? Then you can be in my victory parade. And the imagery that I love about this is that it's Jesus' victory parade, not ours. Jesus is the one who won the battle, but we still get to claim the victory with him in his parade. Don't you want to be in that kind of a parade? I know I do. I want to be in that kind of a parade. Family, at whole life... We can't live off how God has previously worked in our lives and in our church. I am proud of the history of this church. I want you to remember the history of this church, but I do not want us to live in the past of this church. There is a temptation then to start taking credit for what God did and to think that we don't really need his power now because we have all these victories behind us. But what we really need right now is a victory now. And that victory doesn't come from you and me. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes as we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of us and to lead us into that triumphant victory parade. What a perfect song for what you were talking about, bringing things back to life. Um, I would say that... um, this has been a great series for me because when I hear Revelation, I really just get kind of scared uh, most of the time of like, oh no, the end is coming and I don't think I'm ready. And um, it's great to hear that there's like maybe even some hope. Even Sardis was, you know, told, you think you're alive, but you're dead. But also, by the way, if you come with me, you can still have victory. You know, I think you're going to discover the two churches that don't receive any commendation are Sardis and Laodicea. And what I really gather from those two churches is the tone that Jesus has with them, especially when you look at Laodicea. Jesus loves them, Mm -hmm. and he cares about them. And when you see somebody that you love, that that they're sick, or you see something that you're concerned about, you say something about it. And so Jesus simply says something out of love. That's it. It's just love, and that's what revelation to me is. And it's not maybe there's hope. It's for sure there's hope. That's what revelation is. It's all about hope and victory. Awesome. Um, I have a question for me today first. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess there are some perks to it. There's one part that you didn't talk about in the verse today, which was, well, you talked about a little bit about being alert, but it was, uh, I will come like a thief. And I feel like I've heard that before, and I believe it's when... Um, Jesus describes the second coming will be like a thief in the night. Are we to uh, correlate those two, or is it just Jesus uses the same type of wording 
in those two scenarios. They're actually different. I'd like to get into that on the podcast. Oh, okay. And um, just because it's a longer conversation, but here's what I would want you to take away on a kind of a more surface level is that that Jesus isn't Jesus isn't calling us there. Every time, that, every time that something happens like last Saturday, you see Christianity sit and go, oh, this is it. Better, be, better pay attention. Jesus is actually looking for us as Christians not to just wake up every time there's a hiccup in the world or even something bigger than a hiccup. I don't, I don't want to trivialize what's mm-hmm. happening. Jesus wants us to be alert in the good times as well as in the bad. He wants us to be paying attention at all times and, and not because... Not an alertness out of fear, but an alertness out of of responsibility. You know, there are people that need the love of Jesus when times are good and when their times are bad. And so our alertness is not about like us being like, oh, it's it's about us sharing the good news with people all the time. And not just simply when we're like, oh, this is it. Um which, you know, being, you know, if this is it, it'd be nice for those people to already have the peace that comes with knowing that it's okay. Jesus wins. And don't, don't wait. That's yeah. the other thing. Um, all right. We do have a question here from Lynn. Um, she sets it up with, sometimes Christians do get stuck on the ways of the past, which can negatively affect people of today searching for God. How do we as Christians embrace new ways without compromising our strong beliefs? What we may feel is the best way to find their path to Jesus. How, I, uh, for example, we keep um, we might hear something as like, "Whoa, that's a new style of worship," and I don't feel comfortable with that. Is there is there a limit to that? Maybe and in response to her question, I think that what's important to realize is that the Bible gives us principles and. Sometimes we go ahead and take things in the Bible that are more of a principle and turn them into a concrete, this is the way that this has to be done for all time. I'll I'll use a great example of that. If you look at how tithing is done in the Old Testament, it is not exactly the way that we in our denomination do it. It's our principle is based off of what's in the Old Testament but in, it doesn't really work for you to bring your 300 sheep into this church today. It doesn't. And, it, and, and life is different in the way that we are as a society. And so what we have to look at when we look at the Bible is what is the principle behind it? The principles stay the same. The way that we apply the principles can change. Does that make sense? And so one of the things that I think we, we want to do is understand like the music that like you used music example. The music that we do today is very different than what we did 20 years ago. Is different than what we did 100 years ago. Is different than what we did 500 years ago. And I don't believe that that Jesus set one style of music for all time, and it happened to be just 100 years ago <laughs> that that music suddenly was like Jesus. Like finally, they understood the music I wanted them to understand. <laughs> Thank we, we goodness. Were, we were stuck on harp for a long time. Thank, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, boy, Jesus was ready to get done with that harp stuff and move on to organ and piano, right? So, yeah. no, I mean, the principle behind it, the principle. 
Awesome. Well, we are out of time, but if you have any other questions, feel free to put them in the chat or email them to podcast at wholelife.church. And the podcast is called This is Whole Life. It's available everywhere that podcasts are heard. It's excellent. And you sometimes get a sneak peek of the, of the secret word. Hopefully you saw it today. I did not catch last week's and I probably need to go back and watch it. So Stanley, I like you, but I'm not going to tell you. I have people coming up every week. I didn't see the secret. I don't know. I'm just going to watch the sermon again. The, the, I don't the, know what to tell you. The chat usually helps me out. They did not this week. So... <laughs> Um, but I did see this week's. But maybe, week's. maybe if you maybe if you watch the sermon seven times, you seven might times. figure out what it is. Just, just saying, just, just. Right. Oh, okay, all right. All right, family. Don't you love being a part of whole life? Man, I thank Jesus every week for every day, really, for whole life. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that I get to be a part of, of this family with you. So I hope that the whole life is a blessing in your life too. Um, that, you're, that you're meeting Jesus and being inspired to just deepen that walk with Jesus every, every time you're a part of this family. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love to us. We thank you for this family. Lord, help us not to live in the past. Help us to remember, but not to live there. And help us to be victorious right now. Not because we're victorious, because of what you are doing in us. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, family, we're talking about the Church of Philadelphia next week. And then the week after that, you're going to have to watch it online because we're going to be serving our community on the 28th of this month. Be there. If you're like me, you're a procrastinator, you haven't signed up. I haven't either. Do it now. Go out in the lobby. Do it now. Love you guys. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.